kicking off episode 435 of Monster Kid Radio with a song from the band The Intoxicos. They are a very, very cool surf band based out of Villavalia, Brazil, and you can find them at intoxicos.bandcamp.com. Look for their album End Times and check it out. The song Paradise Stimulation, I really dig it, so that's what you're hearing right now. Of course, you'll hear it in its entirety at the end of the episode. After we get through everything that we've got lined up for this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear, I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. Now, if you follow Monster Kid Radio on YouTube, You've already seen the video that I released earlier this week announcing what four movies are going to be covered this month on the podcast. And that means you already know that this week, artist Jim Moore is joining me to talk about the 1959 film, The Manster. This movie, oh boy, this was a good one. And I had a great time chatting with Jim. Jim is somebody who I've wanted to have on the show for a while, and we talk a little bit about that when I have him on. And it's primarily my fault it didn't happen sooner and i swear man we gotta have you back on again sooner rather than later i had a great time chatting with you and the movie itself man it's good and you know i'm not going to spoil the conversation but we are going to spoil the movie i'm not the only person who's going to spoil it though kenny has an amazing look at famous monsters of Filmland, and they spoiled the movie too so consider yourself warned the movie's going to get spoiled twice You know what else is coming up in this episode of Monster Kid Radio? We got a voicemail. We got a call in from friend of the show, former guest of the show, Karen Joan Kahodik. Karen is an amazing author, and she was just at the recent Necronomicon Providence Convention in, go figure, Providence, Rhode Island. The Necronomicon Convention is all about Lovecraft and, and all of that great cosmic eldritch stuff. And she was there. So she called in to let us know a little bit about it. We'll be playing that voicemail here in a little bit. And speaking of voicemails, I've got a voicemail from somebody named Mark who responded to the contest that we had last month on the show in reference to the movie The Man Without a Body. Now, if you go back and listen to episode 431 of Monster Kid Radio, that's when I had author Micah Harris on the show. He and I talk about this film, and and one of the highlights of the movie is that a dead historical figure's head is put on somebody else's body, and there's this weird Frankenstein-like thing going on. The contest that I was running was I was asking you to pitch to me a story involving a dead historical figure's head being put on somebody else's body and what that story would turn into. And Mark Spangler called in with this. Hey, Derek. Uh, listen, I love your show, and I'm calling up to enter your contest uh, about the head on the famous historical figure. I love the program, by the way. So this one, I hope, fits the criteria of your contest. I was thinking of the Japanese monster, Yidra, the three-headed monster. I have three on the brain, so this is how it goes. In this imaginary film, which would have had to have been an AIP, three letters, production, shock rocker Marilyn Manson is hired to track down the ghost of the fifth president of the United States, President James Monroe. He tracks down the ghost to a mysterious island where a strange doctor is found to be creating the perfect head to be featured on the new $3 bill. Yes, it's the island of Marilyn Monroe, Moreau. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Bye-bye. Okay, so first of all, that's just 
really cool. And second of all, Mark also sent me an email in which he gave me the top 10 reasons why he should be on Monster Kid Radio. I'm going to hold on to those until we actually do have him on the show. Because the 10th reason that he gives me is that he seems to know a lot about a particular movie from 1958 that I have yet to talk about here on the show, and I would love to. So, you know what? I'm going to put this out there publicly. Mark, you and I are going to talk about that movie. We just got to line up a time. Anyway, I loved the voicemail. I'll be giving you a call here, and I'll get a copy of the sampler book that I was giving out at Monster Bash, which features one of my short stories and also some fiction from the aforementioned Micah Harris. You know, this introduction is going on a little bit longer than normal, and that's because I've got so much information to share with you. I actually just got a press release earlier this evening while I was working on this episode of the podcast, and I'm so excited that I can't wait. I need to share this with you right now from the press release. Producer Aaron M. Lane is overseeing a new restoration of the first three of ten episodes of the syndicated late-night horror-hosted show, Cinema Insomnia. It's slated to be released in retro-styled DVD packaging on September 17th from Alpha Video slash oldies.com. For $5.98, you can have one of these new, fun, colorful DVDs delivered to your door with wraparound disc art and special touches that will give you a case of the feels. Alpha's famously talented art department that pumped up many low-budget horror films back in the day with candy colors have made these DVDs look like they may have been a point-of-purchase Halloween buy at your mom's favorite discount store. Fans ordering directly from oldies.com will also receive a limited edition autographed postcard of horror host Mr. Lobo while supplies last and that's just awesome. Okay, that was actually from me, not from the press release. The bottom line is, oldies.com is going to be putting out physical media celebrating Mr. Lobo, one of the hardest working horror hosts in the business today, one of the men behind OSI 74, somebody that I had on the show years ago when I went to my very first Monster Bash. The guy just, you know, he's one of those guys. And what's really cool is that of the three releases coming out, only one of them is actually a horror-hosted movie program. Ega will be the movie that he covers, and that's the third release. The first two releases are actually specials that he produced, and they still have that cool horror-host charm. The first one is the Haunted House special that Cinema Insomnia put out, and I've actually seen this. It was available on Roku, probably through OSI 74, but I have seen it, and it's pretty cool. It's Mr. Lobo, it's Count Gore Duvall, it's, it's Carlos Borloff, and Dr. Sarcophagi and Sven Gulli all getting together to tell a haunted house spooky story. The second release is a Bob Wilkins Halloween special. If you don't know who Bob Wilkins is, well, let me tell you, Bob Wilkins is a man behind the iconic Creature Features program from back in the day. Yeah, other people have picked it up since then, and, you know, it's awesome, but Bob Wilkins was the first, and he was the man. And bonus... As soon as I got this message from Mr. Lobo about these releases, I reached out to him and, uh, yeah, we're trying to figure out a time to get him on the show to talk briefly about it. So stay tuned. This all happened after I put out that YouTube video announcing what's happening this month. But, you know, things change. And if we can get Mr. Lobo in the mix, well, that's all the better. Anyway, I've been rambling a lot. Why don't we get into the meat of the episode where we talk about the Manster with Jim Moore and everything else right after this.
A young bride packing for her honeymoon. What happens to her now may be all in the mind, a figment of her imagination. Or she may be in very real danger. Either way, there will be madness and murder and fear in the night. Mrs. Beamish tells me you haven't been very well lately. You had a nervous breakdown. Well, that was about six months ago. These things take a long time to sort out. He was waiting for me, Bob, like he was before. Fetch the doctor. No, God, please. Bob, I was attacked. I was. You don't believe me, do you? I believe you think you were attacked. honeymoon at a quiet school in the country. A school without pupils, just deserted halls, empty rooms, and fear in the night. If somebody asked you to describe a movie to them, what would you say? Would you say that Guardians of the Galaxy is Star Wars meets the A-Team, or that Jurassic Park is Westworld meets the Lost World? The X meets Y pitch is a long-standing Hollywood tradition, one that's been used to sell plenty of movies that otherwise probably wouldn't have been made. But instead of starting with a script and comparing it to two movie titles for an X meets Y pitch, what if we started with two movie titles and improvised the pitch? Well, on my podcast X meets Y, that's exactly what we do. I'm Jonathan Inbody, and each episode I and a guest will randomly select two movie titles, and then we have half an hour to come up with a new original movie idea that could be described as Movie X meets Movie Y. We've done episodes like Ocean's Eleven meets 2001 A Space Odyssey, Godzilla meets Old Yeller, and Robocop meets Dead Poet Society. Basically, it's a half-hour sprint through a brainstorming session, and it is a lot of fun. If any of that sounds even the slightest bit fun to you, then you should give X Meets Y a listen. It's available wherever you find your podcasts or at xmeetsy.libsyn.com. Hopefully, you'll hear my voice again very soon, but for now, enjoy the rest of your regularly scheduled podcast, you lucky so-and-so. Your attention, please. During every suspenseful moment of the running of the motion picture macabre, the life of everyone in this theater will be insured by Lloyds of London for $1,000 against death by fright. However, even Lloyds of London will not grant coverage for any person with a known condition or for suicide by any member of the audience. Now, what has he done, Molly? Tell me. Go on. She's not dead. Not yet. That she's in a good big coffin for her. Don't worry about being scared to death. Your heirs will collect after you've gone. Where is she? Where is she? I can hear her breathing. Where is she? Bring someone with you to see this motion picture. You'll want some live hands to hold during the performance. And you won't want to go home alone after it's finished, if you're able to go home.
won't worry about your telling anybody the ending of this picture because you may not be around to tell. These are the living members of its cast. If you meet any of them in a dark alley, we advise you to scream for help if it's not too late to scream. everyone in Monster Kid Radio Land. This is Karen Joan Kahodik. I just wanted to drop a little report on this year's Necronomicon Providence, which was just held a week ago, and we should have organized some sort of Monster Kid Radio uh, meetup because there were several people there, I'm sure plenty of people that I missed, who have been guests on the show, and lots of topics of interest. Night Gallery came up a lot, which is kind of strange. I saw a panel with both Brian Callahan and Oren Gray, who were on it, and I had a chance to meet and talk briefly with Kenneth Height. And I'd say the biggest, most important thing was I got to spend some time with Monster Kid's friend, Alan Trump. We were able to have dinner together, and we discussed everything from the devil bat to monsteroid and all points in between. I also wanted to mention a book I picked up, which I think your viewer, your listeners, your viewers, your listeners, it's all the same, would like to know about. It was a book that debuted there from Muzzleland Press, M-U-Z-Z-L-E-L-A-N-D, which is called Behold the Undead of Dracula, Lurid Tales of Cinematic Gothic Horror. And it is all new stories that are inspired by Hammer horror films, which I immediately, of course, who doesn't need to get that? And I've read about half of them so far, and all of them have been excellent. So I thought the Hammer films, that should definitely be something that your readers might see, your readers, your listeners. You're, you are everything, Derek. Um, hope you all have a great day. Maybe we'll see you two years from now at Necronomicon. Or I'll get down to a monster bash. Talk to you later. Bye. Karen, thank you for calling in and letting us know how Necronomicon went. One of these years, one of these years, I'm going to get out there. I, I, I don't know when. I don't know how, but I'd really like to get out to Rhode Island and just visit the area that Lovecraft lived in, what informed his fiction so much. And, you know, it's always great to hang out with fellow Lovecraft and Weird Tales fans. You mentioned a number of Monster Kid Radio. You know what? We're going to call them alumni at this point. Monster Kid Radio alumni that were actually out there as well. I think it's awesome you got to sit down and have dinner with Alan. Alan is just awesome. Uh, you know, Alan and I really good friends and our relationship goes way back ask him about uh the time that he wrote a screenplay for a low 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 budget movie that i appeared in just just ask him about that anyway uh there was one other person that you didn't mention somebody else who was kind of sort of there who was a monster kid radio regular uh, alumni uh, irregular dominique lamsey's no she wasn't actually there at the convention but she does have a story in the book you mentioned, Behold the Undead of Dracula. You know, Dominique's a dear friend. However, even if I wasn't friends with Dominique, I'd still tell you, she has one of the most unique, underpraised voices when it comes to gothic and weird tales today. So, if nothing else, listeners, I recommend picking up Behold the Undead of Dracula just for Dominique's story, which is called... 
Vengeance of the Blood Princess. I looked at the titles of the other stories in the book, which actually is not available for general release at this point. So good on you, Karen, for picking up a pre-release copy. But some of these other titles look awesome, uh, including... Taste of Fear in the Night. A taste of Fear in the Night. That's just awesome. Anyway, looking forward to the book. Karen, thanks for calling that in. And you know what? We need to talk. We need to get you back on the show at some point. And, you know, speaking of books and Karen, and it is getting closer and closer to Halloween, highly recommend the book, The Jack-O-Lantern Box. It's a wonderful Halloween tale. I've read it twice so far, and I love it. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so you can pick up your own copy. Thanks for calling in, Karen. There it is, the barrier. All those men in that satellite will die. And yet you propose to follow this tenth failure with another attempt? using more of your volunteers. The future come to life today. The fantastic story of Project Sigma. Earth's first manned satellite for the invasion of outer space. Monstrous space rockets propelled at the speed of light through the solar system and the galaxies, joining in the cosmos to travel to worlds beyond. War of the Satellites. From unseen, unknown planets comes a warning of horror that the United Nations cannot ignore. We are obviously in the grip of a force stronger than we can oppose. The invasion of Earth by a race of supermen from outer space, possessing the weird power of duplicating themselves indefinitely. Creatures taking on human form, yet impervious to any destructive force known to man. Look out. of space travel, the first death and burial in the cosmic void, millions of miles away. An insidious enemy on board, trying to stop man from reaching beyond the limits of our own solar system. Sigma barrier dead ahead. Crash emergency. All hands secure for blast. Vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yes, these things are real, but fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural ghoulish and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet.
going to CK. Docking maneuver completed. Link up accomplished successfully. Starting rocket motors to continue flight. Over and out. Next step, Mars. 35 million miles away. Mission Mars. Three astronauts on a mission to the forbidden reaches of the red planet. Defying the elements. Inviting death and disaster. Darren McGavin, who gambled his life on a fantastic mission to a world no other living man had ever seen. Oh, darling, I'm so scared. Nick Adams, who shared the incredible odyssey, living an adventure beyond his wildest dreams. Mission Mars. They met their destiny on a planet that time forgot. An adventure that smashes the barriers of man's imagination. Watch out, the ball is opening! Mission, Mission Mars. Mars. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week's movie, The Manster, was featured in Famous Monsters number 28. The article is four pages long and includes seven photos. It is reprinted in FM 114, the famous Kaiju issue. This is more a photo preview than a text article. Here's what little it had to say about the movie. Japanese Dr. Suzuki unfortunately has a deranged brain. Otherwise, his experiments might not be so abnormal. He even experiments on his own brother. He even subjects his wife to the horrors of his sinister serum. And what does his evil injection do? First of all, it reduces his own flesh and blood brother to a mindless creature, half beast, half human. And his wife, she has turned into a horrible thing with hairy hands, sharp fingernails, protruding teeth, eyes awry. She is so awful to look at and so dangerous that she must be kept behind bars in Suzuki's laboratory. Larry Stanford, a young reporter, gets wind of a scoop and visits the mad experimenter's laboratory, hoping to discover and report to the world what is going on there. He finds out in the most direct and unpleasant of all possible manners by himself being transformed into a monster. After the serum has been injected into his bloodstream, a human eye begins to grow on his shoulder. Soon it is followed by other distorted human features until an entire second head has grown side by side with his original head. The effects of the serum and the horrible extra head send Stanford insane and he becomes a mad killer. Time and again he attacks, murdering right and left. The city is terrorized. No citizen is safe. 
He must be stopped. American science fiction author Walt Sheldon wrote the screenplay based on the story aptly titled Nightmare. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This is Kenny for MKR. We'll be back with more next week. Adios. Monster Kid Radio listeners, you know, sometimes I reach out to somebody or somebody reaches out to me and we talk about getting them on the show to talk about something and we go back and forth on Facebook or by email and then a year goes by and we finally get together and get him on the show. I'm talking about this week's guest, Jim Moore. Jim, how you doing, man? Hey, Derek. Good to be here. Good to talk to you. It's been a long time. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. I love your work. Now, Jim is an artist, and I love everything that you've posted online. Makes me incredibly jealous. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that I don't have the same skill level that you do, but yeah, uh, yeah. I'm so thankful that you get to share that with people and, and such. How long have you been involved with art? Well, pretty much my whole life, as long as I can remember, I've uh, picked up Play-Doh and been drawing, and and my subject was always uh, was always monsters. I can't think of a time when there was anything I would rather do. So things just kind of like moved along, and just as a hobby, and then about. Uh, 20, 25 years ago, I got a job at Halloween making masks, which is a hobby that I did. So I got, you know, I was professionally employed at it for a good 10, 15, yeah, about 15 years. Oh, wow. So I did that and I kind of honed it a little bit better. And I, you know, my skills in making molds and things like that and, you know, principles of color theory and, uh, you know, what looks good and how and, you know, anatomy and stuff like that kind of improves a little bit. That job ended China, you know, it's production thing hmm. so yeah I, I picked up ceramics uh, I used to work in latex and had access to a kiln and it's, it's a lot of the same uh, principles doing rubber I, I'm a you know I'm a small fish in a big pond and doing ceramics I'm kind of kind of the only game in town I mean there's tiki ceramists out there but uh, none who are doing quite what I'm doing so that's my theory in, uh, in tackling the the format that I'm using you know, I'm, I'm looking at your website as we're chatting uh, over at moremonsters.wixsite.com. I'll make sure there's links in the show notes for all this, including your Etsy shop. You. And I'm looking at all of this, and it, it's all gorgeous, of course. I mean, it's wonderful Thank stuff you. here. But I also see a lot of Creature from the Black Lagoon representation and influence, so I think we're going to get along fine. Oh, no, no. He, <laughs> no, he is my all-time favorite monster. Monsters come and go. But he is the guy that took me. It's one of the first cinematic images I ever remember was the scene from Revenge after he's escaped from Marineland and he's storming across the beach and he tips over that car and he works his way into the ocean. That image, and I didn't even know what it was for a long time in my head because I just remember that. And then I eventually, as a little child, I worked it out. So yeah, the, the, the creature was in there. Wow. My, he's my favorite monster and he's my also most popular since I've been doing this thing. I do like your take on it. I do like your take and, and uh, your style. There's a definite style here uh, yeah. that I'm seeing in a lot of your pieces, whether it's the posing or something you do with the face and the eyes. This is all really cool. And I'm sitting here looking at, you know, you got a golem, you've got a gill man, you got an alien on your website. I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. This is great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I enjoy doing this thing and it is largely a labor of love. You know, I have a day job and, you know, I'm happy to get my stuff out there. I'm happy that people are enjoying it. You know, I'm, I'm really, really stuck on it. And I'm going to be at the Monster Palooza in September. And I realize the show probably won't drop until after that. But it's in Burbank, California. And it's twice a year. If you're ever down in uh, Southern California during, uh, it's usually April and September, you should go to Monster Palooza because it's got a lot of neat, neat monster stuff. It's on my list. I've been told repeatedly that I need to get down there and uh, just 
One of these days, man, I will. We got to get that Monster Kid Radio tour bus up and running, and then I can just go, you know, coast to coast hitting all the cons. Uh, the dream, the dream. Stay tuned for the next GoFundMe project. I guess. No, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know. Uh, yeah, Monster Palooza is coming. Uh, is what mid September this year, September 13th through 15th. Yes. And uh, this episode will probably come out the week before that. Oh. So, listeners, oh. if you're going to be at Monster Palooza, look up Jim. Are you going to have a table this year? Fantastic. Yes, I have a table this year. I've. Uh, this is probably the. I think this is the fifth one I've done. I've attended just as a fan. I think all of them going back to around 2000, I think four, maybe. But yes, I will have a table. More monsters. I think it's 36. I think I'm space 36. But regardless, I'm the only more monsters there. Uh, and I think I'm on a corner. So uh, yeah, if any listeners um, want to come up and say hi, please do so. Yeah, yeah. Let them know that you heard him here on Monster Kid Radio and check out his artwork. It's good Definitely. stuff. Definitely. Now, I like to ask this of the different artists that I have on the show and I'm going to ask you too. What is it about loving monsters that pushes people into wanting to create their own? You see so many people doing masks and paintings and drawings and novels and all this other kind of work when they love the monsters, when they're a monster kid. You don't see that nearly as much with the other genres of film. Why, why do you think that is? Do you have any ideas to why you were drawn or pushed to do this? Well, I think the images of the creatures are so iconic. You got like Frankenstein, everyone in the world, you know, knows that image. And whatever, you know, other genres of films there are, there's nothing that's quite, that has quite that much to grab onto and is that dynamic. The monsters are just so, they're just so cool. I, it's it's really hard to really pin it down. And if if you have the interest in it and you have... The abilities, you know, that someone like I do, it just seems like a natural marriage, a natural combination of things. I've been a mask maker and known mask makers, and there's just this driving thing. It's also, you know, if you are a mask maker, it's also, you know, part of the fun is to actually be the monster. I've worn a lot of makeup and masks and all that, and that stuff gets hot and uncomfortable, and uh, yeah, yeah, I don't miss it. Um, yeah, I haven't. I done the big Halloween makeup in years and uh, yeah I don't miss it <laughs> yeah it's like I still I still will collect masks I still you know I, I will maybe wear them in Halloween but they go up on the shelf I've got a whole attic full of latex um, not only ones that I made but uh, ones sometimes you know I'll see something and it's like oh this is just beautiful stuff there's a there's one company Zagoni um, they're out of I think Chicago and they just make wonderful stuff it's not licensed stuff but it's just beautiful stuff they, they treat their latex right it's really nice stuff and it's like mm -hmm. you know even though it's like well do i really need this no but man I, I love this and again it looks great up on the shelf and just admiring it so you know you don't necessarily have to and it, you know halloween's right around the corner uh, i think a lot of the places already have their yeah. stuff out don't they yeah and i'm totally okay with that yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh once october 31st rolls or november 1st rolls around i have a hard time accepting the fact that it's over so yeah yeah well it doesn't have to truly end honestly well, that's true. That's yeah. true. And that's why you do your <laughs> show, I'm sure, right? You know, it's a big part of it. It's a big part of it. I just, I love this stuff so much, you know, yeah. and I love chatting with people who love it as well. And and we're going to talk about a movie that is definitely a monster kid style movie. Uh, it's got all the great hallmarks of a good monster movie from this era. And we're going to get into that. But Jim, you've listened to the show. You know what's coming up here, right? You know we've got to play a game. Yes, yes. Yeah, we've got a game that we play here on the show called The Classic Five. I've got a deck of cards here and each one of these cards has a this or that, which movie do you prefer style question? There are no wrong answers. It's basically just a conversation starter. And while I really doubt we'd have a hard time finding something to talk about, let's go ahead and play around anyway. You ready to play the classic five? 
Let's do it. All right, card number one. Which movie do you prefer? The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad or Jason and the Argonauts? That is crazy that you just said that because just the other day I popped in Jason and the Argonauts because it had been a while since I'd seen it. And I actually did watch The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad on the 4th of July on my brother-in-law's big screen outside at Heath's got like this projection thing. I watched Seventh Voyage. I love Seventh Voyage, but Jason and the Argonauts hit me first. And a lot of times with these things, the ones that hit you first are the ones that really, really resonate. And, oh my God, the Hydra, the Skeletons, Talos, there's so much there to love, so I've got to go, Jason. Now, from the makers of Sinbad, Columbia Pictures presents Jason and the Argonauts. The mightiest band of warriors the world has ever known. Turn back, Jason! We're trapped! Sailing to the ends of the earth, battling against an incredible number of obstacles. Where will you find this miracle? I have heard there is a tree at the end of the world with a fleece of gold hanging in its branches. In search of the fabulous magic golden fleece, Jason and the Argonauts, caught in the clutches of the towering bronze giant Talos, battered by treacherous falling rocks, taming vulturous harpies, facing the dreaded seven-headed... Um, yeah, I think a lot of times it's, you know, which one you saw first, which one made the imprinting first, so... Yeah. Yeah, totally get it. Edges Plus, it it's out. A gorgeous I mean, film. you know, honestly, it's like, yeah. you know, I love Seventh Wars, and I'm actually, my next piece is uh, Cyclops um, from Seventh Wars. Oh, wow. you will be seeing shortly. I, but yeah, my next mug is going to be Cyclops. Very cool. Very cool. All right, card number two. John Agar or Nick Adams? John Agar. He was in so many more. I mean, I, Nick Adams is cool. He did some great Japanese stuff, and he did the one with Boris Karloff. But John Agar was in so many great things. I just watched Tarantula and The Mole People. And, you know, he was in... Uh, King Kong, which was, um, you know, it was a small part. Oh, yeah. But he's there. But he's, he's there. there. He's there. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was cool to see him because I knew him, who he was at that time. I knew his name. And I didn't necessarily recognize him because he was, he was older. But I remember in Famous Monsters saying, it's like, oh, yeah, John Hager. He was in uh, Revenge of the Creature. So, yeah, I got to go John Hager. Yeah, I love Nick Adams. I wish there was more Nick Adams out there. But, yeah, my man, yeah, John. I, it's probably has to do with just uh, <laughs> kind of also just kind of more familiarity. Um, Nick Adams is like I said, he was, he was in you know a, a few things, but John Edgar was in more close to a plethora of awesome stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, card number three. Who's your favorite horror host? Oh well, I have to go with my childhood horror host, who was named Seymour. He was a uh, sinister Seymour. He he was out of Los Angeles. He was on uh, KTLA Channel Five. I'm in San Diego, and but I got all the LA stations. He was my man. He was Larry Vincent. He was a classic horror host. He came out. He did jokes. He showed all the movies. I remember seeing Bride of Frankenstein, all that stuff. And he was my man. He he was funny, and he was on twice a week, and then he eventually got syndicated over down to channel six down here but eventually elvira uh, took over but uh seymour was again the, the ones that hit you first are the ones that hit you hardest so sure yeah he's my man sure right on very cool i don't think i've ever seen anything but do you know if any of his footage or his shows exist now that's the thing about those old horror shows they never had any intention of these things preserving so i think they probably just taped over them like a lot of the old uh a lot of the old tv shows i mean there's there's stills and i think there's like one promo he did for like not scary not scary farm back in the 70s but yeah no he's, he's kind of lost in time so you had to kind of had to be there but that's that's just part of the whole nostalgia thing you know a lot of a lot of it um, exists in your memories yeah all right card number four it is from our hammer films expansion peter cushing as van helsing or peter cushing as frankenstein he 
there's a thing about <laughs> about him where I like him better as a I like him better as a good guy than a bad guy. And I know a lot of his, you know, kind of hallmark stuff, he played a villain, but with the dichotomy between him and Christopher Lee, I always saw Christopher Lee as the bad guy and, and Cushing as the good guy, so I have to go Van Helsing. Interesting. Yeah. Because okay. like, he's a you know, grandfatherly type. He seemed like a, a, a good, warm person, and uh, whereas, you know, Lee seemed like, you know, a very cold, kind of off put off his person. So I, I think I'd prefer to see, yeah, I'd prefer to see Peter Cushing in the... Uh, in the Van Helsing role because it's a gallant role, you know, it's a heroic role. All right. And the final card, if you could have visited the set of any classic monster movie during its production, which one would it be? I would say King Kong because I'm, I know that they had some amazing sets. The uh, so We're talking the original, the, right? Where they built... Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, I mean, well, you, okay, you no, brought up the other one yeah. earlier, so I wanted to make sure. I did bring up the other one, and I do love the other sure. one. But I'm talking about 19, yeah, 1930. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> the um, locations where they built the wall and everything. Yeah, I, I have, I have to go to King Kong. It's just a magical movie. It's a movie that had everything, and I can, I can't imagine that it was all miniatures. I'm sure there were some amazing things to see live on the set. I think sometimes when we watch King Kong, we get. And rightly so, overwhelmed by the stop motion, by Willis O'Brien and all of that. But there mm-hmm. is a lot of amazing set work there. That set design, and we get to see it more in, you know, the most dangerous game, the same sets and all that reused. Mm-hmm. And it's just gorgeous. And that was the that was a time and place in Hollywood where they were making these things full size. So you could get yeah. lost in it. Just amazing. Yeah, I, I love artificial environments. I know they don't always look real, but they look really cool. And actually, there's one really good one early in The Manster. So, uh, yeah, just a segue. There we go. There we go. Yeah, I didn't have to do it this time. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was the Classic Five. And, yeah, we're going to go ahead and talk about The Manster, which is a film that I am not overly familiar with. In fact, uh, I don't know if I'd ever seen it before today. Ah, you know, so ah. th- this, or at least not all of it. Now, I know I've seen clips, especially in the 90s. I saw clips because there were a lot of comparisons made between Army of Darkness and this film. So, and I yes. remember somebody bringing that up and then it's like, well, OK, now I got to know because I loved Army of Darkness when it first came out. And so I, I, right. I did go back and check it. But to sit down and watch it start to finish dedicated viewing, this was the first time. And I was pretty blown away by what I saw on screen. This was pretty darn cool. Larry! From the exotic geisha houses of Tokyo to the back alleys of the Ginza Strip comes the terrifying news of a fiendish creature that threatens to destroy all who stand in his way. This is the frightening story of an American reporter in Tokyo who unwittingly became the victim of a shocking scientific experiment that turned him into a horrible mutant, half-man, half-monster, the Manster. got away. I think I know where he's going, to Taurus. Follow me. Right. There's panic in the streets as the unheard of terror of a half-man, half-monster runs wild through the city. There he goes! Don't miss The Manster. 
a genuine thriller in the most frightening sense of the word. My, my history with it, it's pretty similar. I was familiar with it from the old, uh, do you know the Dennis Gifford book? The, uh, oh, yeah. The pictorial history of horror movies. Oh, yeah. That was one of my, one of my first acquisitions. That That's when I was a kid um, where I realized, wow, this can exist. And it, it started me on collecting books and magazines. Right on. But there was a still from the Manster, and it's just uh, the guy with the two heads. So I was you know intrigued by that, but it was never on. And you're kind of a, a slave to whatever your local you know, 13 channels back then yeah. podcast. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was just never on. That was the extent of it for me. And it's like, oh, the Manster. I, for some reason in my head, I always got it confused with the Brainiac. Oh, I don't know why. So I thought the Manster was a Mexican movie. And when you're a kid, you just, like, you just make these weird associations. And then I picked up a, a Mill Creek set of mm-hmm. uh, those 50 horror movies to curdle your blood, um, <laughs> public domain. You know? I think all of us and, have uh, at least three Mill Creek sets in our collection. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so I picked one of those up just relatively recently. I guess it was last year at a swap meet, and you know I was going through them. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, this one really stood out to me. It was like you know what, this is actually really solid. It actually does. It hits all the notes that a that a classic um, vintage fifties monster movie does. And sure. So yeah, it was really yeah. I was I was really really pretty uh, pretty impressed. In fact, if this movie had been made like ten years prior, I could have seen Lon Chaney Jr. in the lead role. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, there's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of parallels with our hero and Cheney Jr. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it is in the public domain. It turns up in a lot of places. And, you know, growing up, like you said, sometimes you're kind of restricted by what's going to show up on Showtime or the local TV stations in the show or whatever. Today, we are so fortunate, but sometimes I feel like we get uh, analysis paralysis. At least I know I do. I've got over 100 channels on my Roku. <laughs> Mm. And I'm always going through trying it's to figure overwhelming. out, yeah, what am I going to watch? They all show the same thing, but, you know, each one's a little different. Maybe somebody's going to have something else, you know, but, you yeah. know, it's, but it's, it's, I guess what I'm getting at is this is an easy one to get your hands on at this point. And I'm glad for that because it is so interesting. Uh, the production, like I said, I don't know a lot about it, but my understanding is that it's an English production. It's an American film, but they shot it in Japan. They went over to Japan to shoot. Is that right? Yes. From what I can tell, it has a mostly Japanese crew and it obviously takes place. In Japan. Yeah, uh, I mean, our lead is American, but one of our other leads is not. I mean, he is uh, Japanese, or at least Japanese-American. Uh, he can speak pretty pretty well pretty, pretty well English. Listen, I, obviously, I can't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you need subtitles, Gary. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, even though we're in Japan, uh, the primary Japanese characters that we meet do speak English rather well as well. So we don't oh, yeah. have that that kind of stilted pigeon English kind of thing going on, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, there's yeah. no, uh, I don't know, kind of, I don't know where I'm going with this. There's no the stereotypes, the Charlie Chan That's stuff. the word. I mean, that's what I'm looking for. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's it's treated pretty respectfully, especially considering that, uh, you know, World War II was not that distant of a memory, and they could have been a little more brutal on it, but they actually uh, treated it with pretty good respect. I think they were being treated probably pretty well by their crew that was putting this movie together. I sure. think they worked uh, together pretty well, and I think it showed in the character. Oh, yeah, definitely. And our lead actor, our American lead, our, our viewpoint character, I guess, for the film, uh, is played by Peter, and is it Dinely or Dinely? I'm not sure on the pronunciation of the last name. And he's actually British. <laughs> Is he really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he's actually British. He actually did uh, one of the voices in the Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds. I did see that. Yes. Huh. Yeah. He plays our American reporter, 
pull on a little bit of Steve Martin, a la Perry Mason, perhaps. I don't know. Or uh... <laughs> well, it's a little more substantial than that. It's not. It's not just. Yeah, cutaway. I know. He's I know. like he's a through line. Yeah, I'm not trying to imply that this movie's got you know a bunch of Japanese stuff that we just inserted some American footage. I mean, this is one production uh there's no uh, japanese version versus american version or any of that i'm not implying that at all there's not one where king kong wins and there's not one that godzilla wins yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) exactly i think people are going to be so disappointed when they sidetrack are going to be so disappointed when that criterion blu-ray set comes out and we finally see the japanese version of king kong versus godzilla and the ending is virtually the same (laughs) Our, our urban myths, our, our legends and fairy tales have, have done us wrong. Yeah, I think I think I blame Forrest Ackerman for that. I think that's what who, who kind of well, he spoke in puns. He didn't. He wasn't meant to be taken literally. Exactly, know? exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, so he plays Larry, our reporter, our globe trotting reporter. He's got a wife underpaid. back. In- Underpaid. Criminally underpaid, yes. (laughs) He made sure to to mention that. He's got a wife back in New York, and he's looking forward to wrapping up this final story, and he's going to go back to New York and and settle down there. He's tired doing this this hopping around the world, getting all these stories. He wants to be a husband at home, present in his wife's life. Yeah. Which is great. Living the American dream, you know, the the kids in the white picket fence. But he's got one more story to do. And that's what brings Uh-oh. him into, yeah, <laughs> just one more job, just one more. Yeah, he's got one more story to do, and that brings him into the world of Dr. Suzuki, played by Tetsu Nakamura, who's great. Dr. Robert Suzuki, his little looks over at Larry after he did what he did are just so, just just sublimely fiendish. Oh, it's um, great. He just had some great little cut-ins where he was just kind of like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I love a good mad scientist film. I really do. Oh, yeah. This guy's doing some mad scientist stuff without being overly mad. And no, I loved it. Yeah. The, the little looks. I mean, it's just great. Exactly, yeah. He he was not a fiend. He actually was doing this stuff for science. He seemed to really care about what he was doing. He did go over the line like so many. He was not Dr. Moreau. He touched on stuff like that, but it wasn't complete hand-wringing, you know, maniacal mad scientist he actually seemed to like really care about mutation and evolution and um, cosmic rays and advancing the species really interesting take and even later on in the film we find out that the two subjects that we meet at the beginning of the movie that have been transformed mutated deformed or whatever weren't necessarily a result of something he did to them yeah they kind of volunteered and, and when we learned that that kind of even adds a different level what's going on here it does it makes you wonder what almost might want to see a prequel to like understand why his wife and his brother would be so willing to undergo this you know what turns out into a transformation in the name of science yeah they they are they do seem to be uh voluntarily what they become i'm not 100 percent clear on what he's trying to do uh he's trying to do something with evolution he wants to use chemicals to do what the cosmic race did. I'm still not 100% clear on the science. It felt a little wonky, but we don't watch these movies for, you know, (laughs) solid science lessons. Yeah. But he does see a great subject in Larry, the reporter offers him a drink and gives him a drug. Oh yeah. The bottle behind the other bottle, the secret bottle. (laughs) He always makes sure yeah. to put it back and then bring it out again and make sure it, it is in its spot. And, uh, yeah, he slips him a Mickey, doesn't he? Basically. Uh, knocks him out, does what he's going to do to him. and He injects him with a syringe. Yeah. 
Right in the shoulder. Which is important because the shoulder area is something that he's going to keep coming back to over and over and over again, yep. uh, which I really enjoyed. And listeners, if you have seen Army of Darkness, you are going to see so many parallels here. I can't believe that Sam Raimi didn't pull influence here from this. Uh, I almost feel like it was pulled off more successfully in this than in Army of Darkness. Just, I don't know if that's blasphemy to say so, but man, it looked, it worked really well in this. Oh yeah, it did. You know, and it's strange. I never made that connection until I was looking at IMDb and I'm all, oh yeah, I can totally see that with what happened to Ash. Yeah. I, I'm sure Sam, Sam Raimi, he, he's a fan. I, I'm, I'm sure he saw this as a, as a kid. He probably, saw it in the, well, well maybe on the theater but i'm sure you saw it on probably on tv there sure well and at some point at some point i mean army of darkness is the third film in the evil dead trail you know what totally irrelevant uh, <laughs> as far as the banster goes <laughs> okay uh, when exactly. he wakes up he, he apologizes for falling asleep and dr robert or, or bob blames it on the, the mountain heat that uh, sometimes gets to people here and uh, hey i'm gonna be in tokyo soon uh, maybe i'll look you up when i get down there Oh, great. Sounds like a plan. Well, when they do meet back up in Tokyo, Larry's already starting to feel a little funny, but uh, the doc wants to make sure that uh, he can keep him under observation and introduces him or reintroduces him to his assistant slash secretary slash never really clear where he found her, although yeah. it's implied that it came from somewhere pretty dark. It's <laughs> Yeah, Tara, the lo the lovely Tara, who seems to be there, I'm not necessarily against her will, but almost it seems like, well, this is a better life than the one I came from. And it almost yeah. uh, seems like maybe she was in maybe a brothel or something like that. That's the vibe I got. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that's the vibe yeah, I got. She's the lovely assistant, and she has a bit of a crisis of conscience with what he's doing and yet she does go along with him and she does help him uh entertain larry entertain larry yes uh quite entertaining uh, <laughs> so tara is played by terry zimmern and i don't see any other credits for her anywhere oh. which is too bad because i mean she was gorgeous yeah. and uh, i really do like the little journey she goes on in the film at the very beginning of the movie she talks about how she learned to not have feelings a long time ago right. which again kind of implies maybe she did come from a brothel scenario or situation but as the movie progresses she does start developing feelings for larry even though she knows full well the dude's married and re she really shouldn't be pushing but you well. know she and the doctor have this plan and mm, yeah yeah She's playing it. She's doing what she needs to do. But she's also falling for that uh, animal magnetism that Larry apparently does have. <laughs> when called on it, because he misses his flight. He doesn't go back to New York when he's supposed to. When called on it, he's talking about how he finally gets to live it up. He finally gets to live for him. He doesn't have to be who everybody wants him to be. He gets to enjoy Tokyo and, and really just have a good time. And he's looking a little rough. He stays out late with, with uh, Dr. Bob. <laughs> spends yeah. a lot of time with the geisha girls yeah they, uh he shows them he shows them a good time and at this point um larry is starting to the, the influence of what's happened to him is starting to uh kind of do a little jekyll and hyde number on him yeah yeah there, there are a lot of jekyll and hydes here yeah sure yeah a lot of jekyll and hyde isms it, yeah. And it, it again, it uh, it starts off kind of mild where, ah, you know, I haven't had any fun, blah, blah, blah. It kind of ramps up with him being uh, really, really mean to his poor, loyal, suffering wife. Right. It's kind of hard to watch that because, I mean, she she's just 
such a, a nice person and she just so wants them to be like they were and uh he's just not mm-hmm. having it the, the the new larry this new larry who has uh sprung up from whatever depths that the doctor has pulled it out of the one time that they interact with each other before all this goes sour it's a wonderful loving conversation over the telephone i have a dinner i have to go to tonight dear and i'm just going to imagine that you're there with me and, and it's just so it's just sweet you know yeah but as things progress and yeah Uh, There there is definitely a a downward cycle that he finds himself in. And and on top of all this, people are starting to die. (laughs) There's some murders happening in town. Some of them happened before Larry got mickeyed. (laughs) Right. Or, or, uh, yeah, got got, uh, taken in by the doctor. Yes. Are we talking about Kinji here? Yeah. 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 That was our opening with uh, this kind of idyllic um, sort of Japanese uh, garden of these pretty girls just, you know, being pretty in a pond, like in a pool, suddenly being basically slaughtered by Sasquatch. Pretty much. And I was very surprised. I mean, it's 1959, so things are starting to get a little bit more loose in terms of what you can see on screen. But the opening credits are played over uh, a paper door. But that blood had been splashed all over. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty gruesome for this era. It definitely is. It, it kind of subverts what you're thinking a 1950s movie is going to be. But, hey, you know, I mean, we had had a um, brain that wouldn't die with that thing pulling off that guy's arm in the uh, basement, you know. So. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. I guess the gloves are off. So, yeah, there was a pretty gnarly uh, slasher moment right up, right from the get-go. Yes, Kinji is uh, his, uh, what we call, failed experiment of the Dr. Suzuki's. Uh, it turns out it's his uh, brother. He is no longer uh, able to control him. He's going and murdering locals, and he has to gas and then murder him, shoot him, and throw him in the uh, crucible there. It's pretty brutal. Um, gas him, shoot him, burn him up. All while the other subject is watching and screaming. His wife would be, uh, what is her name? Imiko? Imiko? Yeah, Imiko, there you go. Right? There you go. Yeah. yeah, screaming, bloody murder. So she's obviously uh, coherent enough to uh, understand that Kinji, who is apparently someone she cared about very much, is no more. And there are some more murders happening now. That Larry's starting to go through this transformation. We don't really see the effects or, or the results of a lot of these murders or, or the after math i suppose we hear about it yeah but we don't get to see it nearly as bloody as we saw at the very beginning of the film and that's fine we don't need to have it shoved down our throat we get what's happening here at this point and all the while larry's just descending further and further and you know his hand's starting to bother him then he starts getting this weird itch on his shoulder and he starts grabbing his shoulder and eventually there's an eye growing out of it <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and yes. Uh, I knew it was coming, but, you know, it's still pretty shocking and pretty well done. And I think it's because the actor sells it so well. He's terrified of this thing. He doesn't know what's going on. He's all in. He's pushing this part and he is selling what is happening to him. He's selling it big time. Another thing that I thought was very uh, of its time is whenever there was some kind of a uh, kind of something, anything weird about to happen. Did you notice what would happen on the soundtrack? I'd have to go back and watch, I guess. Well, that would be the theremin. Oh, that's right. There is some theremin in this. There's quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I want to learn how to play it. I want a theremin, and I want to learn how to play it. Oh, wouldn't it be great? It would be awesome. I'd have to take lessons somewhere away from the home as to not to drive the cats and my wife crazy, <laughs> but it would be so fun. <laughs> you could probably get some headphones for that, I would imagine. <laughs> 
Oh man, yeah, we we get some of that as well. And eventually, yeah. uh, th- this eye grows into a second head. So we got this guy running around this head, uh, the second head on his shoulder, and they do a pretty good job. It's not just the guy's head and then a dummy head running around. Every once in a while, they they're pretty smart about it, where they swap it to where the quote unquote normal head is now the dummy head and the made up face is the the one that's growing out. So it, it does kind of make it feel a little bit more realistic. Yeah. And, and I do appreciate that. And what I love is when they finally separate. That sequence, oh uh, when, when they're up in the mountains, that is so well done. So good. That is insane. I did not expect that to happen. And again, it's one of those kind of really sort of potentially very visceral things for an older movie. And, you know, when it's done, mm-hmm. it's not bloody or anything like that. But just the fact that it happens is really one of the highlights of the movie. I can only imagine what they would do with uh, contemporary special effects. But I really like the way it was done in this in the black and white during the big climax. It looks great. It feels good. Uh, very well done. They do it kind of sort of behind a tree, but they do it in such a way that it makes it feel even more violent. Than it. I mean, it's just wonderful. And there's this weird sense of violence in this through this entire thing, this kind of griminess through the entire film that I think you don't see in a lot of other 50 science fiction horror films that were being produced here in the States. Maybe the fact that it was produced over in Japan and they had a different crew with different skills and a different mindset and a different approach involved added to that. I don't know, but there is this kind of griminess and sliminess to the whole thing that I think works really well for the kind of story the monster ends up being. I agree, yeah. A lot of your two-headed monster movies kind of have that also, the credible two-headed transplant. And a lot of these just, there's something about it that is just, it's so visceral and it's so off-putting and and just kind of gruesome. And the head, the way that the, the head was performed, I mean, there was some articulation in the head. They didn't like put floodlights on it, you know, I mean, they, they kept it kind of in shadows and they kept it kind of moving to where it never really looked particularly phony, and that just added to the effectiveness and this visceral feel that you are referring to. Yeah, uh, you know, and I like a good two-headed uh, monster movie, you know. Absolutely. Like, you know, whether it's uh, Ray Milan, Ray Milan, you know, whether it's Ray Milan and, and Rosie Greer or whoever, you know. Heads, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know. I mean, I like these movies quite a bit, but this one I think is going to make its way to the top of my list when it comes to you know, kind of judging these films. If I had to make a list of some of my favorites, this one's going to be right there. And I think part of it's because of the the head and the monster design, but also the performances. And I really enjoy the way Larry kind of descends into this nearly hedonistic kind of guy who flat out chooses his girlfriend over his wife in front of his wife. Yeah. That was... <laughs> Tara, I don't think we're welcome here anymore. <laughs> oh, God. You feel so bad for the wife who, you know, doesn't have a huge character arc. You know, she just wants her man back and her life back, and I get that. But, man, you still feel terrible for her. I know. Again, she's just so sweet and so forgiving, and, and the, you know, she could look, overlook all of this stuff that he's doing. Uh, but she's pretty convinced that this really isn't him, that, that he's being possessed or influenced somehow. And uh, I think that's probably what's driving her and causing her to pursue this, because it's just not her Larry. Yeah, that's, that's the out here, is that we know that it's not him. He's under the influence of whatever it is the doctor gave him, He's not himself. So that's the out. That's that's his way to come back to her, I suppose. Uh, and so much so that at the end, when the two bodies split, when you know there's a good Larry and a bad Larry or whatever, 
they can point at the Sasquatch looking version of him and say, yeah, that's the one that did all the killing. It wasn't Larry over here. It's that guy, you know? So, I mean, even have that as kind of an out for him, which I'm grateful for because in the end, Larry is a good guy. You know, it's not his fault, really. It's not his fault at all. He was just looking for a story and he was used for nefarious purposes and he was the unwilling pawn. It, It ended up really really kind of messing up his life pretty hard. It's the fact that at the end, it looks like, you know, well, the superintendent Aida, you know, he says, well, we are going to have to arrest him, but we'll keep everything in mind here. So they, they kind of left it uh, kind of open as far as like, it's, there's, there's a good chance Larry might be let off. They have to be responsible. They have to do their job. But I think we walk away from it feeling like, you know, it's going to be okay. Absolutely. And, Especially and, and, since they can find that other body. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, the, the body went into the uh, volcano, though, didn't it? Well, that did. I'm, I'm referring more to, like, Dr. Bob, who tries to <laughs> commit Harry Carey and then all this other stuff that's going on, and Larry doesn't have the claws that were used. And anyway, oh, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, no, the evil Larry, uh, the big hairy thing, yeah, it goes off the edge into the volcano. Yeah, it takes Tara with him, unfortunately. I mean, because uh, she didn't deserve that, but... I guess she was living kind of a tortured life, and uh, it's hard to say. It's hard to say why she made that decision. Again, we never really quite find out for sure what her background was, but whatever it was, what she's doing now is so much better, and the doctor, everyone's while keeps threatening to send her back to it. So, you know, there's that kind of hanging over her head, and she's falling in love with this guy, even though she knows she probably shouldn't be, and yeah. She was a tragic figure, and um, I guess there's two kinds of stories. There's comedy and tragedy, and this is, uh, you know, this is a tragedy, but it's a darn entertaining one. You know, it really is. It really is. When we first started talking about this a year ago, uh, mm, yes. <laughs> um, why is it you wanted to do this film? Was there just, you wanted to revisit it, or did, did you have a special connection to it? Actually, I posted it in the, your Facebook oh. And you um, and I reached out to you. You hit me up with that. Yeah, you want to talk about it? That's that's actually how it happened. Yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't actually my idea. But no, but I'm but I'm glad I did because it's kind of, it's kind of nice when you can uh, kind of like discover something later and look at it with adult eyes. And because a lot mm-hmm. of times you see things through rose-colored nostalgia glasses, and you're not necessarily the best judge of how good it is or isn't. In this case, I think it worked out well because we were able to have this discussion for this thing as it is and not as we necessarily perceive it. Sure. If people haven't seen this film, and I know we spoiled it, we always spoil the movies here on Monster Kid Radio now, but if people haven't seen the film, if you were trying to introduce them to it, would you give them any kind of a heads up about what they're going to see or, or, or try to adjust their mindset so they can accept the film for what it is or just let them go in cold? Well, a person has to know that this is a 1950s monster sci-fi thing and you've got to take all the things that go with that into consideration. But going with that, I would say, you know, just it's a really good, clever kind of Jekyll and Hyde kind of wolfman, you know, one man's insane journey into the dark side of himself. Yeah, I mean, I I would absolutely recommend this to anyone who likes uh, just, you know, classic monster movies. It was co-directed. The co-directors are George P. Brakeston, who directed a handful of other things, but he was also primarily an actor. And then Kenneth G. Crane was the other co-director on the project who co-directed or who did direct the half-human U.S. sequences uh, for that film, as well as the movie Monster from Marine Hell. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, uh, I I don't know much about 
the directors other than what I can find online about them. Uh, apparently, George P. Brakeston was uh, an actor in the 1935 film Life Returns, which is something that uh, a friend of mine and I have been talking about a lot lately. I haven't seen it yet, but I keep meaning to. It's supposed to be a, a weird horror film from the 30s. Um, mm-hmm. That could be one of your future episodes. Yeah. Hey, there you go. You you guys uh you guys definitely um hit some of the deep cuts on on your show. You know, you don't go just for oh, the yeah. obvious stuff. It's great that you're opening people up to um things that they might not otherwise know about. Well, part of the reason is uh we're starting to run out of the mainstays. Yeah. <laughs> they don't make 1950s monster movies anymore. So, you know, we can only have so many we can do. <laughs> it's true. It, it is it is finite, but it is a lot deeper than than you know than you might think, and than most people might think. Sure. It's, but uh, the monster, yeah, it's a relatively obscure film. I think most people probably aren't that terribly familiar with it, and uh, but they should be. I, I think so too. The movie also had the title "The Split," which hmm. is a great you know alternate. I mean, pretty obvious. You know, I think I like monster better, just to play on the word monster. I mean, I understand why it's called that, but that sounds like it could be like a, I don't know, like a caper movie or a crime movie or I don't know. That that doesn't uh, hmm. just doesn't give me the the monster stuff that the monster does. You know, one of the things I meant to touch on was that they um, it's something that kind of go, uh, flew in the face of the norm back then was that they didn't film day for night, like all of the nighttime nocturnal pursuit sequences of which there were quite a few towards the end of the movie were all filmed at night whether it was in a graveyard or a shipyard or in the streets whatever it looked very authentic you know there's a lot of these old movies you have to really swallow a lot to say wow this must be the brightest moon ever because you can read by the light of this dark dark (laughs) stormy night whatever but yeah Mm -hmm. they filmed night for night it was really refreshing for again um a movie a kind of a you know b movie of that era because that just isn't something that they would uh, normally do yeah I, I i do like the way it looks uh it does have a very interesting feel i love so many of the locations tara's home i really liked uh what we saw at the very beginning with the springs and everything and the public baths i love that moment that sequence as well where you know they they do bathe in the same room but there is a divider between them and yeah he's talking to her and oh i wish i could see you you know it's like yeah <laughs> i bet you do buddy yeah, you know, maybe, so, so so do we yeah, absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> another one of the sets that i really liked was dr suzuki's lair basically like his in his front yard you could see straight through to what what turns out was an active volcano in the background and what we're looking at mm-hmm. here it's a set. It's an indoor set. And again, it doesn't necessarily look realistic, but it looks really cool. It's like kind of like those old Star Treks where you would, you know, they'd be on a, some planet and they're obviously on a stage. But you know what? It looks so great that you're just, you know, it's like, yeah, no, this is it. This is a fantasy film and I'm digging it. Yeah. So when that uh, volcano goes off to the conclusion, oh boy, <laughs> it does pay off. <laughs> yes. It's Chekhov's volcano. There you and, go. <laughs> uh, you know we we know it's going to go off. You know you just called it a lair. That is so much better than saying it's a laboratory because that's really what it feels like. Is this this lair that he's got built here with cages for his failed experiments and yeah, it really does have that kind of evil lair vibe. Oh, it's a great laboratory. He goes downstairs and there's like these big mutant plants and these giant mushrooms and these. Of course, every Frankenstein lab pulsating light bzz, bzz, uh, yes. thing going on. It's a great kind of dungeon lab set that he's got going on there. Oh, yeah. It's really, really good. I liked it a lot. 
a lot. Yeah, that, that lair setup was great. And even to get into it, it's not just, you know, you open up a door and go down some stairs. You have to unlock the door that's set inside some rocks, in a rock wall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to get to. Even that gives it this kind of cool vibe that I mean, is pretty unique to this film. I, I know I'm going to go back and watch this film again, partly because I can't believe I didn't really pick up on the theremin as quickly <laughs> as, as you did. Oh, it's uh, there. And I, and I need to correct <laughs> that. But, you know, I, I want to watch watch it for more than just that. I want to see more of the set design and the production design. Unfortunately, because the movie's in the public domain, everybody's got it, but not a lot of people have a lot of information about it. You know, it's one of these movies that kind of came out and just did its yeah. thing, and that's it. I'd love to learn more about it. It's kind of a bit of a lost film. It is a shame, but it's a little again, bit, yeah. It, uh, but it's but it's fun to uh, to mine these things every every now and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Another thing I wanted to touch on with the lair set. It's a really, it's a pretty sophisticated uh, facility there, but in order to get there, you have to hike up rocks and not even through trails. You have to actually, like uh, Larry says, make like a mountain goat to actually get there. So it's amazing that he was able to have had that place built considering there was no road going to it. Uh, And I do remember him saying that, especially towards the end when they're talking about using the telephone. Yeah. Because if it's really that remote, I'm glad they do have a phone, but um, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, again, that's yeah. uh, some of those things you have to just kind of like kind of like go yeah, with. Yeah, you have to just accept. Yeah, it is what it is. I love that, too, that it's so remote that it takes a long time to get there. It's hard to get to. This film delivers on so many different levels. Man, I'm so glad we did it. I don't know if it was worth waiting a year. Oh, um, well. <laughs> <laughs> next time, I, let's not. I was, I, I was doing other things in the meantime. Don't worry, Derek. <laughs> I was busying myself, and I'm sure you were too. So. You weren't sitting around pining for Monster Kid Radio to give you that oh, call? <laughs> just staring at my phone. When's he going to call? Why hasn't he called yet? <laughs> wow. No, no, okay. no. But I did, I did, like, at the time, I did cram it a few times last year when I thought it was going to happen, and then obviously these things happened in your life where you weren't able to do it. So, But then, you know, I was able to watch it a couple more times uh, recently, and. Um, I got no regrets. I, you know, it's a, it's a really fun movie. But like you say, yeah, you go back. You know, oh darn, I have to watch this. You know, great old movie again. So, right? Yeah. <laughs> Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know I'll be watching this again because it was a lot of fun. And you know what? I'd like to. I'd love to have you back on the show again. But let's not wait a year. Um, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be that'd be amazing, Derek. <laughs> More monsters.wixsite.com and more is spelled M-O-O-R-E than monsters.wixsite.com. Link in the show notes, of course. Go check out Jim's work and let him know that you heard him here on the podcast. Jim, thanks for your patience and your graciousness uh, in finally coming on the show after a year of talking about getting you on to talk about the Manster. And I couldn't think of a better movie to introduce you to the listeners of Monster Kid Radio. The Manster is really, really cool. But what I want to know, what I want to ask you, sir, is have you ever considered making a tiki version of the Manster? I'd like to see that. That'd be a lot of fun. Listeners, if you're going to be at Son of Monster Palooza in Burbank, make sure you track down Jim and maybe pick up an item or two from his table. Let him know that Monster Kid Radio says hi. In fact, you know, earlier in the show, when Karen called in to let us know how Necronomicon went, if you're going to be at Son of Monster Palooza, 
I'd love to hear how it goes. Give us a call. We'd love a con report. You know, that's something that we don't do enough of here on Monster Kid Radio. While Monster Bash is the Monster Kid convention to go to, there are so many other conventions going on around the country that might have some Monster Kid content like Necronomicon, like Son of Monster Palooza, like the upcoming H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival and Cthulhu Con with special guests Victoria Price and Roger freaking Corman. Anyway, if you are going to be at a convention, call in, let us know how it went. Or if you want to record an MP3 and send it to us by email, that'd be great too. I'll include the contact information at the end of the show. Trapped. 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 <laughs> They're trapped in a whirlpool of shrieking fear from the most fiendish idea ever conceived by the human brain. The brainiac. And it has a friend. She was beautiful, desirable, and not altogether human. The curse of the crying women. Together they will trap you in a world of horror. But if you live through it, you will never forget. The Brainiac and the Curse of the Crying Women. The American merchant vessel Petrox Explorer has just set sail from the port of Surabaya in search of oil. What they find will shock the world. We may be sailing into the history books. She's alive! You know, maybe my luck has changed. They will discover an uncharted island that is the home the most incredible creature on the face of the earth. A creature called Khan. Dino De Laurentiis presents the most exciting original motion picture event of all time. They burned it down. If you rebuild it, they will come. You didn't hear them? Beg your pardon? The voices? People? If you rebuild it, they will come. They blew it up. If you rebuild it, they will come. They demolished it. If you rebuild it, they will come. But horror has a permanent address. Welcome to my home. The house of Frankenstein lives. You see, uh, we began a project a few years ago, but unfortunately it was, it was interrupted. And we're most anxious to 
take it up again. In September and October, the Fire and Water Podcast Network presents a Supermates tradition, covering four classic horror films and four related comic book adventures. I must find more victims before my work is done. You need look no further, vampires. We'll take the bat jet to the Hall of Justice and transform the other super friends. <laughs> Featuring an all-star cast. James Spader. Are you crazy? Jack Nicholson. Oh, just marking my territory. Anthony Hopkins. She lives beyond the grace of God, a wanderer in the outer darkness. Lon Chaney Jr. One becomes accustomed to the darkness here. Michelle Pfeiffer. You're afraid that when it gets dark, you'll attack me. Vincent Price. Let's, uh... See what the rest of this mausoleum looks like. Gary Oldman. Enters freely of your own will and leave some of the happiness you bring. Winona Ryder. I almost feel pity for anything so hunted as this count. Peter Cushing. I am a doctor of medicine, law, and physics. To the best of my knowledge, doctorates are not awarded for witchcraft. But if ever they are, no doubt I shall qualify for one. And Keanu Reeves. Doctor! This Halloween, visit our field of screams at the scenic house of Frankenstein where terror is only a listen away. (laughs) That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I had a blast putting this episode together. I hope you had a blast listening to it. The voicemails, the conversation about the Manster Kenny segment, Kenny is just knocking it out of the park. And, you know, I'm incredibly lucky to have surrounded myself with so many, not just cyber friends, but actual friends, people that I know that I can call if I need to or reach out to or whatever and talk monsters or anything else with. So thank you for making Monster Kid Radio special for me. I hope I'm doing a little bit to make it special for you. If you have any questions about Monster Kid Radio, want to know anything about it, or just want to learn more about anything that you've heard about on this episode of the show, head over to monsterkidradio.net where you'll find links to everything that we've talked about in the show notes. You can also find a link to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and our Twitter. And I do try to be a little bit more active on Twitter than I have been in the past, so you can follow me there as well. And then, of course, I mentioned the YouTube channel. Head over there if you want to know what's coming up next week. You'll have to play the YouTube video that I uploaded earlier this week to find out what's happening next week, and I think you're going to like it. So, yeah, you know what to do. Our contact information, email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. If you look in the show notes, you'll find a few links going to Amazon. This is where you're going to be able to pick up items that you hear about here on the show, including, well, my book as well. But anything that you hear about here on Monster Kid Radio, if you follow the Amazon links that you can find throughout the website to buy them yourself, we're an affiliate. We get a little bit of a kickback. And just because... I do have the Godzilla Criterion release that's coming out later this year listed as well. So if you're going to pick that up through Amazon, as of right now, it's running about $165 on Blu-ray. Well, you know, pick it up through the link and we get a little bit of support from Amazon. Every little bit helps. There was no bedtime story from Professor Frenzy this week. You want to know why? Well, he was off at a convention. Go back a little bit and listen to my comments about what you can do if you're at a convention and you think there's something Monster Kid Radio might want to hear about. But yeah, he was at a convention last week, but he'll be back soon. At least, I hope he will. 
I miss him. I need my bedtime stories. I also need my surf music, so I'm going to go ahead and play a little bit more of the Intoxicos as I wrap up and remind you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license, of course. That doesn't apply to the song Paradise Simulation. That belongs to the band The Intoxicos, which is that really cool surf band whose album End Times you can pick up by going to intoxicos.bandcamp.com and check out the entire album pay special attention to paradise simulation whatever you do let them know that you heard about them here on monster kid radio my name is eric m cook i'll talk to everybody next week ciao <laughs>